Well, hey, we're so glad that you made it today, that you have joined us. And again, as you've already heard, Jedi training is coming this Monday and Tuesday. Kindergartners through fifth grade elementary school, you got to get here. Parents, get your kids here. They're not going to want to miss it as they get the truth of God's love in their hearts. So important. Let's make it a priority to get our kids here for little Jedi training. We're so glad that you're joining us today as we kick off our new series entitled Original Series, No Doubt. And let's be real, right? It's really easy for us to have doubts, right? It's so easy for us to doubt ourselves and maybe doubt other people. You know, you know when some people like say that they can do something and you're kind of like, oh yeah, like you could really do that. And maybe underneath your breath you're going like, yeah, sure you can. Or sometimes you just say it out loud like, sure you can. I, I'll see it when I believe it. Well, uh, there's an instance going on in our church right now where one of our worship leaders, Sarah Daly, uh, it's told that she can literally sound literally like a baby, a newborn baby crying without moving her mouth. And to be honest with you, I doubt it. I doubt that she can actually do it. So we thought we'd just put it on display for the entire world, for the entire World Wide Web, for our church community. And so Sarah Daly, get on out here. Come on out. I mean, yes, we know you have a beautiful voice. You're always singing awesome. But you got this thing, and I don't believe it, but so why don't you just... Just, just, just go ahead. Prove to the world that you could actually do this. You ready? I, I think so. Okay. Here we go. I'm about to baby cry. <laughs> Are you serious? That's it. Do it again. Okay. <laughs> Do you have like a recorder back there? It's Sarah, I mean, you have proved me wrong. Now there's no doubt in my mind that you can actually pull off the baby cry. Let's give it up for Sarah. Unbelievable. I still think the tech crew has got something going on back there. I don't know. Anyways, we're talking about no doubt. And it's so easy for us, right, to have doubts. Doubts in other people. Doubts about ourselves. Doubts about our faith about our beliefs, especially when we hold up God's view with the world's view. And there's a big difference, right, between God's views and the world's views on a lot of different topics, on a lot of different things, when it comes to creation, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to relationships, our finances, how we respond in situations, how our behavior actually is. Sometimes it's drastic, huge gaps. Other times it's these subtle little differences that's just a little bit different and a little bit off that slowly takes us off the path and just sweeps us away into the world's ways instead of God's ways. One of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest ways that the enemy uses to distract us, to get us off course, is religion itself. All the different religious philosophies and thinking has taken people off course. Just one word or one phrase that will take people off on a path. And so today we are going to begin a seven-week journey of going through one of the books of the Bible and the scriptures that is laced with so much truth that we can stand upon and anchor our lives upon as we look at the book of 1 John. And during the time that the book of 1 John was written, it 
was being threatened, the early church was being threatened by a lot of ideas, by a lot of philosophical thinking, a lot of different religious beliefs, one of them being Gnosticism, where humans, uh, they would think, were these divine souls trapped in a physical world. There was a huge culture war taking place when the writer John was writing this, where if you thought in absolutes you were considered crazy, if you were, there was suspicion, uh, if you had certainty and a conviction about any truth and validity for every stinking opinion out there or philosophical idea demanded a voice. And if it didn't get its voice, well, shame on you. Maybe that sounds a little all too familiar with the world that we are living in today. Because that's the truth. This is what we face in our culture wars today and the religion wars today. And so what can we stand on? What are the truths that we can stand on? And so whether you have uh, opened up the Bible this morning or in the last week, or maybe you've never opened up the scriptures ever before in your life, I truly believe that over the next seven weeks that there are some truths that will literally help anchor your mind as you look at all the chaos that is happening around the world and when you weather the chaos that literally is happening in your personal world. But before we dive in, I want to just pray for you. I want to pray for me. So Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word that is alive and is living and anchored on truth, truth that we can stand upon. And Father, I just ask that you would help us to be aware of what you want us to hear today, help us to stay focused, help us to not get distracted. I pray for my mind and my speech as I communicate, and I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So I hope you'll just uh, grab a copy of the scriptures or on your phone, the book of 1 John. Where's the book of 1 John? Just go all the way to the end of your Bible and you'll see the book of Revelation, then you'll see the book of Jude, and then you'll see the book of 1, 2, and 3 John, and we will take off right now. So are you ready? I hope you are. Here we go. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And before we go any further, we just need to pause and talk a little bit about who is writing this. The author of 1 John is John himself, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. How cool is that? And close relationship with Jesus himself. And not only was he one of the 12, he was one of the three in the inner circle of Jesus along with his brother James and Peter. He was in the inner circle. Uh, He was known for helping uh, orchestrate and build the early church in Ephesus. He's known for writing the gospel of John as well and as well as the book of Revelation. John was an eyewitness. I mean, look at this screen right here. He heard literally the voice of of Jesus, literally hitting his eardrums, hearing the inflections of his voice from the whispers all the way through the shouts. Not only did he hear, but he saw him. He was the only disciple that actually saw and experienced the crucifixion and saw it with his own eyes. And literally he was there at the crucifixion, there at the cross that we're told. I imagine the tears that were coming from his eyes as he saw Jesus hanging on the cross. And not only that, he touched Jesus before he was crucified and after he was crucified and rose from the dead. He literally touched Jesus. So as we read this, this isn't just some hearsay, like, oh, kind of random. Yeah, I heard it from so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so told me. This was literally an on-demand experience that he experienced and then is relaying those experiences and what Jesus said right to us. It's unbelievable. 
And so, uh, this isn't random, and so let's keep going. In verse 2, it says this, the life, Jesus, the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, saying, we don't want to keep this to ourselves. We have been called to testify about the manifestation of the word of life, Jesus Christ. What does this mean, manifestation? Manifestation is the idea of what was once hidden is now visible, is now revealed. And in verse 1, it talked about how he was revealed finally because he was always, he was from the beginning. And in John, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In my personal opinion, take it or leave it, I don't think it's by accident that in the Gospel of John and then in 1 John, he started off with trying to make a really, really clear point that Jesus is the word of life and that Jesus was from the very beginning, that Jesus is eternal and that he was from the beginning and that he is all-knowing and that his plan is best and that he is all-powerful and that he is supreme in control and that he's got the whole world rigged, he's got the whole world in his hand and the eternal one who was from the very beginning of the world became a man and that nothing surprises him and that he is God, he is the creator and I am not, and that I am his creation. And this is a truth that we must remember in the good times when we get lazy and in the hard times when we have our doubts. The truth that we can hold on to and can be sure of is that Jesus is God. He is from the beginning. He is sovereign, and his way is best. And so when things are good, we don't forget. And when we go through the valleys and the world is spinning out of chaos and our world is spinning out of chaos, we hold on to the truth that he alone is still sitting on the throne. And then he closes out this section in verse 4 and he says this, And we are writing these things, I'm writing this down, so that our joy may be complete saying that it gives me joy when I share this with you. I have a joy that is like no other that I'm sharing with you, and you too, you and I can have this joy. And this just isn't any kind of joy. This is the truth that we can experience complete joy, and that can only be experienced through Jesus alone. Now, this isn't the joy that you'll look up in the English dictionary. The English definition of joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. A feeling of great pleasure and happiness. This isn't the kind of joy that he's talking about. This is a joy that can only come from the understanding of the reality of a relationship with Jesus. It's an unexplainable joy, a joy that no one can quench. And so, what is true? What can we be sure of? What can we have no doubt about? Here's what we see in the first four verses. We don't have to doubt that Jesus is God. And we don't have to doubt, no doubt, that he is sovereign. And that we don't have to doubt that he alone is the source of joy. But the question is, is do you believe that? Are you sure of that? Do you ever doubt that Jesus is God? Do you ever doubt that he is sovereign? Do you ever doubt that he is the source of joy? Do you forget about these things when life is kind of coasting, when, when life is just kind of numb? Do you ever struggle with these things as you weather different struggles and valleys and storms in your life? 
One thing that we just want to bring up in terms of the context as we kick off this whole book is where was John writing this? What was going on in John's world when he was writing this? Many scholars are in agreement. We're not for sure. It's up for debate, but we truly believe that it's very, very highly possible that John was writing this in a valley. That he was either writing this in the book of Ephesus when he just was going to die of natural causes or, which most scholars lean more towards, is that he was writing on the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. But after he wrote the book of Revelation, he would pen this book of 1 John on a small, rocky island. And I will be real, for the longest time when I would think about John writing the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos, I would just think of him in isolation. I would think of him like Tom Hanks in Castaway with little Wilson, you know, just alone and in isolation. But if you look more into the historical documents of what the island of Patmos was and what was happening historically around John's time, this wasn't just him in isolation. This was a prisoner Roman camp that they would send prisoners to who wouldn't obey the Roman government to do what they wanted them to do, and they were sent to work in mines in severe, harsh conditions. And so many believe that that's what John was experiencing when he was writing this letter. And yet, even in the midst of his old age, even after all that he had seen and all that he experienced with Jesus, here he is still writing and testifying of the joy and the sovereignty and that Jesus is God. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a joyous retirement party retirement living for me. I, I, I don't know about you, but you would think that maybe John would be doubting these things because of his circumstances. You would think that he would be doubting these things because of the pain and the hurt, and now his dreams have been shattered as he's there on the island. Maybe asking the question, maybe sometimes you're asking this question is, what's going on here, God? Why is this happening to me? This isn't what I signed up for. How can this plan be good? What would you, why would you send me here? Why would you have me go through this? Why, would you help why wouldn't you help prevent this from happening to me? You have the power. Why aren't you using it? And my question for you is, have you ever felt that way? Or do you feel that way right now? Questioning, doubting, is Jesus God? Is he sovereign? Is he really the true source of joy? And if I could just be vulnerable with you today, as with my church family, this past month, I was doubting the sovereignty of God and his plan. I was struggling with the sovereignty of God's plan being better. There's a lady in our church and her husband that started coming to our church two years ago. And uh, they joined my city group and her husband's in my coaching group, Jessica and Aaron Cash. And Jessica fought for five years cancer, stage four cancer for five years. And it was a long, long, long fight. Uh, but last month, when I was in the Smoky Mountains on my vacation, I got the call that the fight was over and Jessica had passed. I'll never forget getting the, the news, and I went on this porch on the mountains where I was at. 
way, way early in the morning, and I was mad. I was really mad at God. I was struggling. Because for so long, we were begging and believing that God would heal her. You see, a year and a half prior, unfortunately, I had to do her father's death, who died tragically. And since her father's death, when I, after I did the funeral, the thought of doing Jessica's funeral would haunt me. Sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and the thoughts of doing her funeral would come into my mind. And I would literally get on my knees and say, uh-uh, God, no, 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 no. I'm not doing her funeral. I'll do it in 30 years, but not now. And we begged and we believed. Two months ago, we literally sat her right here in our church with our elders and pastors surrounding her, anointing her with oil, begging and believing that God would heal Jessica. But he did it. And so the question is that I was wrestling with is what do you do when the miracles don't come through? What do you do when you don't get the outcome that you wanted and that you felt was best and it didn't come through. And so I sat there in the Smokies in that rocking chair on that porch wrestling with God. Which, by the way, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to wrestle. God wants us to be real with him. He wants us to struggle with the thoughts that we're feeling. And in the midst of that struggle and in the midst of that frustration and anger that I was feeling, he reminded me of this truth. And so wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, I want to encourage you to just lift your fist up to the air. Just lift it to the air. And then I want you to take your fist, and I want you to take your fist, and I want you to open up your hands slowly and just open it up into the air. And God just hit me upside the head. We got two options. We either lift a fist of anger up towards him or we lift a hand of adoration to him. A fist of anger or hands of adoration. Which then made me think that there are probably many who are listening that are bitter, that are angry, and that are mad at God, who's ever listening right now, that you are angry and you are mad at God because something didn't come through for you. Something didn't turn out the way that you wanted. The marriage that you had is now gone in divorce. The disease that you are battling with is something that you didn't sign up for. There was a, a, a deck, a hand given to you that, that you didn't want. There, there was a dream that you were hoping for, a business that you had that is completely shattered. There was someone that you loved who was gone way too soon in your opinion. And you're left. And you're mad. And you're bitter. And so what do we do with that? What do we do when we're angry with God? What do we do when we have our fist literally up in the air towards God? What do we do? So when you have bitterness with other people, we, we know that a way to get out of the bitterness with other people is we, we have 
the, 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 the amazing, powerful adjective of forgiveness that we talk about all the time, hardest thing to do, most healing thing to do. And when we do it, then we can be freed from the bitterness with other people that we have who've harmed us. But what do we do when it's God? When we have bitterness and we're angry and we're mad at God, what do we do? Do we forgive God? I mean, can God be forgiven? I mean, seriously, think about that. I mean, that seems like a blasphemous statement, doesn't it? I mean, how can you forgive someone that's unforgivable because they've never done any wrong? How can you forgive someone that is perfect? How can you forgive someone who has never made a mistake? You can't. You can't forgive God. It's not possible to forgive God. And so the only thing that we can do to get out of our bitterness and make our fist go from fist to hands of adoration is not forgiveness. It's faith. It's trust. It's faith in him. And Jessica, my friends, modeled this to the world so beautifully. Jessica modeled this into, in a way that was unbelievable. She had every right to be pumping her fists up at God for waiting and waiting for the miracle to happen that never happened. But through her life and through her journey, she just kept going like this and kept radiating her joy out wherever she was. I only knew her, me and Jen only knew her for two years, but she made us feel like we knew her for a lifetime. And she just kept radiating this joy, this unexplainable joy that she had. How did she do that? How do we do that? How do we make our fists go from fists to hands of adoration and trust to God? How is that possible? How do we do that? How did John do it? John is literally, after all he experienced, he's on the island of Patmos in a work camp, for crying out loud. How did he go from the, to not having a fist to having a hand? to then let us know of the joy and the sovereignty that we can find in Jesus alone. Jessica's main verse that she held on to was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that I memorized when I was a little boy. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Lean not on your own understandings, meaning when things don't make sense, when it seems like it would be way better and you would have had way more glory if you would have healed her within our community and the impact and the tidal wave of what could have happened. It seems like it would have been better. And I know the right answer is, is that his ways are better. I know that. But I struggled with that. And Jessica struggled not understanding why the miracle wasn't happening for her. But the other thing that she struggled with too was not understanding all the many, 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 many more miracles that actually took place that made absolutely no sense. And one of those miracles is the miracle that supersedes, that trumps all miracles. And that's the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jessica learned that she not only had a cancer disease just destroying her body, but she had another disease 
that was dooming her. And no radiation, no organic therapy, no chemotherapy could ever, ever heal it. There was only one thing that could heal it. And that was God himself sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we didn't have to, so that she didn't have to pay for it. And then he proved it by conquering from the dead. And he rose from the dead. And the moment that that clicked for her and she realized that's what Jesus did for her, that is why she was able to go through this earth without fists to God when things didn't go her way. And she kept trusting in the sovereignty and the plan of God with hands of adoration. And that's what I believe John did too. The reason why John wasn't going like this is because John not only heard about the resurrection or heard about it and seen it lived out in other people's lives, he actually stepped into the empty tomb and saw it. And when it says that he saw it, it said the disciple who he beat uh, Peter to get to the tomb, and when he got to the empty tomb, he saw, and what does it say? That he in that moment believed. All of his doubt of could it be true was washed away and he could be sure of that Jesus truly was God and that he truly was sovereign and that he was truly the source of joy. And because of the resurrection for John and because of the resurrection for Jessica's life, they could lean into the truths of scripture like in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things, the good stuff in your life, the, the medium stuff that kind of happens in your life and the not so bad, or the bad crap that happens in our life, all things, all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now hear me clearly. This is only for those who have believed in the resurrection and death of Jesus to save you from the penalty of sin, for those who have put their trust in him, then all things actually work out. All things actually work together for good. But we have to keep reading. A lot of times you'll just hit this verse. You gotta keep going because then it says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. All things work together for the good is meaning that we are being conformed into the image of God and that there's a bigger ultimate plan that no matter what we go through, it is conforming us if we allow it into the image of Jesus. And that is why earlier Paul said this statement, that that is why he said that we can rejoice, that we can literally rejoice in the pain we can rejoice when it doesn't make sense. We can rejoice when we're frustrated. We can rejoice when we're angry. We can rejoice in the suffering because we know that the suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces this character and that the character produces hope and the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured. It's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts Hearts, and that is the joy that John is talking about that we can experience like no other. And my friends, I have seen this in my life. 
I have seen this on the journey of my life of all the good and the bad that has taken place. As the song says, even when it hurts like hell, I'll praise you. And yes, I mean, there's going to be doubts. We're going to go through life and we're going to wrestle, we're going to struggle. But in the midst of that struggle, it makes us stronger. In the midst of the struggle, it made John stronger. And it it pushed him into his calling to keep testifying about that Jesus is God and that he's sovereign and that he's the source of joy. And recently in my life, I saw it lived out. And a blue-eyed, amazing woman named Jessica who showed Jen and I and our city group and our church community and the Lion community in our city that Jesus is God and that he is sovereign and if you really want the source of joy it can only be found through him do you have your fist out at God today are you bitter towards God today I want to encourage you, drop the fist, let go, open up your hands and anchor on the truth that Jesus is God and that he's sovereign and he's working all things together for good. And he is the true source of joy and the enemy can't steal that from you. You might not be tapping into it right now, but once you receive Jesus, it's always there. He can never take it from you. Lean into the joy. Lean into the joy. Let me pray for you, Father. I ask right now that whoever's watching that is angry and is mad at God, that they would let go of their fists. You would give them the courage and the character and the strength to let go and choose to trust you. that they would keep persevering and allow the situation they're facing to build their character, to build their hope and their trust in you. God, you are God and we are not. And sometimes we'll never understand why things happen until the other side of heaven. And we'll sometimes always think that our way is better than, than your way, but one day we'll know. But we choose to trust. Right now, as we continue to pray, there's some of you that you've never put your trust in Jesus. You've been walking around with a clinched fence towards him your whole life, but you're tired of that. I'm telling you, bitterness towards God gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere. It'll just keep leaving you empty. But if you just trust and let go of your clinched fist and surrender yourself with humble adoration for who he is and understand who you are in the midst of God, there is freedom. 
And so right now, I just encourage you, wherever you're watching, just open up your hands and just say to him, Father, I let go and I trust you. I believe you are sovereign and in control. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and to rise again for me. And I don't understand it all, but today I believe it. And I receive it. I receive you, Jesus. I want the joy. I want your love to pour into me right now. So come into my life. Oh, Jesus, come into my life. My friends, if we keep praying, we keep praying if you truly meant that. He makes it so clear in such a loving way that you will no longer perish in separation and isolation. But now you will live eternally in paradise with your creator and your life and your joy can truly begin right now. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Forgive me for my doubts and thank you for never giving up on me. You are good. You are sovereign. You're in control. You have it all rigged. It's part of your perfect plan. I believe. I believe. I believe. Amen. Amen. If you put your faith in Jesus today for the first time, I want to beg you to not walk alone. It's pointless to do it. This is a community that strives to help people move towards God. And we don't have it all together. And if you can relate, then join us. And we would love to help you on the journey. There's questions that need to be answered, we know. And we wanna just walk you through that process at your pace, meet you at that level. So just text the word Mile City to 94,000 and one of our team will get right back with you. So if you got some more time to process what we've heard today from God's truth in 1 John, the team is gonna sing an amazing song that talks about no matter what we go through, no matter how much we doubt, no matter what's going on, that we will choose and we will fight to lift our hands and praise our King who is sovereign and is in control. Even when
I will only see 